Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. So welcome, Allison. I'm happy to be here. You know, welcome. Yeah, welcome back, I should say. It's um, such a joy to connect, especially from season one and season two that uh, are continuing to do well in their journey post HSCT. It has been a journey and it's, um, I've had some real aha moments, uh, even though I'm now nine years out from my initial diagnosis and eight years out from HSCT. Happy Um, eight years. Thank you very much. We have eight years in December, so... That, that'll be a great milestone as well. Indeed. So tell us how you've been doing since we last spoke, which gee whiz was probably three years ago now. Was about three years ago. You know, I have continued to do better physically. It seems like I'm regaining a lot of my physical limitations back. Um, that hasn't gone without a lot of hard work. Uh, mm. There was a point um, where I was walking oh, 25 to 35,000 steps a day. And I was really pushing myself, um, which kind of was physical therapy for me, but it was also maybe overdoing it. Right. So I've had to figure out what that balance is um, so that I'm not over extenuating my uh, limitations and hurting myself more. So that's been interesting. For sure. Well, you, Last time we spoke, you talked a lot about walking at work, and that that was a big part of your job. Right. So kind of the last three years has been interesting because I've had some opportunities to do some public speaking. Um, I gave a health talk uh, in, in front of a, an audience here at the local medical school, um, And I kind of went through my journey of diagnosis and what the doctors told me and kind of the fight for me to get HSCT since um, I wasn't able to get it on um, the trial like I had originally Mm. um, wanted to. And as I was speaking about it, kind of wrapped up the talk and then, I don't know, the next couple of months, I just started having aha moments about, you know, my life has been so connected from uh, kind of having some trauma in my childhood to um, starting to get symptoms in my late teens, early twenties to uh, kind of being in a a toxic um, relationship, uh, having kids um, kind of staying in this culture that and community that I didn't particularly align with. Mm. Uh, But I kept like, you know, trying my hardest to live up to everyone else's expectations. And I just continued to get more sick and more sick. And kind of through talking about my journey, I realized how much 
the mind, body, and soul is connected and how the body mm-hmm. really does keep score. And um, mind being, for me, a toxic belief system, maybe not to others, but to who I innately was. Um, and then body, my body starting to break down and get sicker and sicker and losing more and more function, almost like, you know, my spirit or my soul is like trying to wake me up, like, mm. <laughs> pay attention. This isn't like your path. This isn't what you align with. And then soul was absolutely losing everything health wise, you know, mental, physical, spirituality. I just kind of had this, I wouldn't call it a nervous breakdown, but it was definitely a health crisis that woke me up and made me really fight for my help or as much as I could get back, um, look for options and realize that I probably started down the MS journey because of trauma from a really young age. So that's been kind of what I've been working on the last three years. I've been doing a lot of writing around that and it's, it's been really interesting. Writing and have you pursued any other supports for your mental health? You know, it's interesting. I have been seeing, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I've been seeing a kinesiologist here. And I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. Study of um, movement anyway. <laughs> right. So um, kind of, you know, our bodies run on energy fields and um, it's kind of here on blocks, blocks I have in my energy field. I can't really... It's hard for me to describe what he does. Sure. Uh, But it's, it's releasing trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And he'll be able to tell where a block is and he'll say, you know, age 13, this is the situation, you know, either specific male, specific female. It's very weird because like, as soon as he starts the process, the memory and the person comes to mind without, and this guy doesn't, know me besides just going to see him. Sure. That's uh, fascinating. So yeah, I, I will say that that has probably done more for me in the year that I've been doing that mm. than the therapy that I was in for several years. I want to come therapy. see him. Yeah. Well, because our issues are in our tissues, right? They truly yes. like our stress lives in our body and there's scientific proof that intergenerational trauma is a thing like our ancestors passed their traumas on to us through our DNA. So I just saw him yesterday and I had an issue come up from my um, paternal line and I'm adopted. And so there's a lot of things I don't know about Oh, right, you know, generational trauma. So it's very interesting because he'll say, okay, this is from your paternal line. Um, and actually it was, um, blocks within recognizing my sole purpose in this life. So that was pretty interesting that somewhere in my paternal line, mm. you know, uh, someone else had issues with that. So it's interesting that you say that because that's absolutely been my experience with him. Um, he's one of like five people in the country that practices this specific kind of kinesiology, um, So that's kind of what I've been doing more um, than talk therapy. I did pursue that for a really long time. Uh, My therapist decided that she was going to retire. And I thought, oh, I don't want to start all over regurgitating. Because it's a lot. 
And it is a lot. And until you can shift those patterns in your fascia and in your body and in your energy fields, I'm right there with you. People might think we're out there, but there's science behind this and it's, it's important work. It's, it's very interesting because I actually have a daughter um, who is going to pursue her MSW and she's decided to mentor under this gentleman and possibly go and get some training in Australia for it. It's interesting that in the U S it's not recognized as a legitimate healing uh, practice, but you know, New Zealand, Australia, England, I mean, all over the world. Absolutely. I mean, those insurance companies will pay just like if you were to go see a talk therapist. So I think there is some real magic behind it. Um, It's certainly shifted me. I had my oldest daughter flying from Phoenix Oh, about six months ago and picked her up from the airport and um, we're headed home and we were just in this conversation and she said, what's different with you, mom? Hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, there's something very, very, you have shifted. There's something very different. Like, I don't even recognize who you are and it's only been a year since I've seen you. So (laughs) what's going on? And so she actually has ended up uh, while she was here seeing this guy and, uh, it's it's just been kind of an interesting journey for me and my family. So fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. And I was just gonna say I'm so glad that you align with it because yes, it's hard. It's it's really hard to talk about if someone's not familiar with it and they have a closed belief system around it. So I appreciate mm. uh, the inquiry and able to just kind of explain a little bit about it. For sure. So. Two years ago now, I went through a yoga teacher training and my best friend had started this and embodiment work is what she talks about and Mm -hmm. finding ways to truly embody our soul in our being, in our body and really attune with what's going on and where our stress and our um, issues lie in our body and then using just even soft touch and massage to help move the fluids in our body and clear out the stagnant and the, the old, right. And, Mm -hmm. and the trauma Mm -hmm. and help like, as those things come up, really just help shift the resonance to one that's a more healthy way of thinking and, and being and experiencing your body. And so She was fascinated in helping me work through some of that in my early healing through HSCT and started that yoga teacher training with her, I guess, two years post-transplant. And um, she's now in the Bay Area in California, and I'm missing her terribly. But she's very much trying to share this work with the world as well. And it's not an easy path because people just don't understand until they experience it or witness it, like your daughter witnessed right. the shift. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And my youngest daughter witnessed it so much that now she's like, I, I don't want to get my master's in social work. I want to go study exactly the training that this guy's received. And I want to, I want to heal, help others heal from trauma. So it's, it's really, that's powerful. Two of my daughters. Yeah. They've two of my daughters have seen, a huge shift and it's kind of been interesting. It's like I had all these fixed beliefs and I really um, 
didn't honor my soul or my path. And so I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. You know, my body just kind of screaming at me like, Hey, wake up, pay attention. (laughs) Sure. Why don't you revisit your uh, diagnosis story with us for those who maybe haven't heard your first interview? Okay. Um, Well, I started um, having different health struggles right around the age of 16, 17, actually. Uh, Numbness and tingling uh, in my arms and legs, um, floaters in my eyes, ringing in my ears, um, vertigo. Um, Sometimes I'd have a hard time talking. And and my dad was actually a pediatrician, so it was kind of interesting because this was 1986, before doctor's offices were, you know, communicating through computers, it was, it, sure. it was literally like, oh, so you have uh, ringing in your ears. So we're going to send you to an audiologist. And then I go to the audiologist and they'd be like, yeah, we don't see anything. Or I go to, you know, an ophthalmologist and he'd say, yeah, I don't really see anything with your eyes. I, hmm. I don't, I don't know what you're experiencing. So I'd go to all these different specialists and nobody could figure out what was going on with me. And so my dad kind of said, well, you're what we really call a hypochondriac. And of course I was pretty young. and didn't understand what that meant, except that I complained a lot. So I just kind of learned to be quiet about what I was feeling and uh, ended up getting married. And I had three pregnancies, four kids. I've got twins in the middle. Um, specifically, I remember with the twins, I was actually in the hospital for a couple of weeks after I had them because now I would know that, you know, that was an MS flare, but at the time I didn't know what it was. Mm. I literally couldn't move half, you know, I was paralyzed on the left side of my body. And so I was in the hospital and, um, just kind of kept living life. Um, and I went through a really, really ugly divorce, uh, when I turned 40. So, uh, let's see, that was 2010. Yeah. Yep. 2010. So, uh, really contentious, just really, really kind of an awful divorce. So that's stressful stress on me. And I started having, um, these huge flares to the point where I couldn't walk. Um, Mm. I was losing vision. I was just the weirdest things were happening. And I was working and I had a, I was working at the Selick airport and I, you know, passed a passenger, who grabbed me and said, have you ever had someone look at your foot drop? And I looked right at him and I said, what foot drop? And he said, I've almost watched you trip three or four times watching you walk. Like, has no one looked at that? And Mm -hmm. I said, no. And he pulled out a business card. So he was an emergency room doctor here at the university of Utah. Mm. And he wrote down the name of another doctor and his phone number. And he said, I need you to call um, this colleague of me, mine and get an appointment to look at that. And and this guy was a sports medicine doctor for the U of U football team. So I show up for an appointment there and he literally has no clue why I'm there because oh, <laughs> wow, I'm not an athlete at the U. I'm not on the football right. team. And I just, I said, well, this is the guy who told me I need to come see you. And I, you know, I don't know if he had some sort of inclination that maybe it was a neurological thing going on. The first doctor who noticed it and maybe the doctor I saw, you know, has a background story that I'm not aware of, but he diagnosed me, put me through an MRI um, and came back in and said, you've got MS and it's aggressive. Um, Mm. 
said I've got you've got 18 lesions on your spine you've got six on your brain so um you need to go see a neurologist you need to go see a specialist like ASAP mm. so kind of went through that process I I couldn't get into the the MS specialist very quickly he was pretty booked out so I I went to a doctor that worked with him I call him the gatekeeper right he's mm. the one that like sent me through another round of MRIs and kind of had the touchy-feely talk about how, you know, 95% of MS patients, you know, have a headache or they don't feel well, but it doesn't really affect them in their lifetime as much as it's been um, publicly shown. Like you always see the worst cases Hmm. of people with MS. And so I was kind of felt a little better about that. And um, then when I went to see the actual MS specialist, he said, um, I've never seen someone with an MRI that looks like yours that's still walking, and I need to get you on the drug Tysabri, but I can't until you fail the first three tiers of medication. Oh, my goodness. Tysabri was a tier four. So he put me on Copaxin, and then I, I failed several other drugs and went to take the JC virus test. And he's like, you score too high for me to put you on to Sabri. Like, mm. there's no way I can put you on it. So I had failed everything. I was waiting um, for Lentrata to come out and found out about HSCT. I switched doctors because I felt like this guy was, I don't know, just kind of bad bedside manner. <laughs> he took me into the Tisabri infusion room and he's like, and this is your future. And there were literally people, you know, wheelchairs, oh. walkers. Um, and, and that was on my first appointment where I had no clue what oh, MS even really was. He was. So I was like, well, thanks for that. Um, mm. So that kind of was in my mind, in the back of my mind. And that was super hard to witness, um, not of having course. much information. So I went to another doctor and my spouse at the time that was working with someone who had just had HSCT uh, with Dr. Burt and they came home and they were like, Hey, I found out about this treatment. Let's research it. So we did applied for it. Um, and I was seeing another doctor in Salt Lake and he said, that's a death sentence. That's mm-hmm. a bone marrow transplant. Um, there are people who have died from that FDA study. Um, you'd be better off waiting for Lumtrata, and that's going to be about a year out. Yikes. Um, so I just, I really felt like everything inside of me was like, you need to pursue this treatment with everything you have. And so we did. And that it was tough because I was accepted for the trial. My insurance company approved it uh, because the certificate of coverage said we'll cover any FDA trial that is not linked to a pharmaceutical company. And because HSCT, of course, is to prove that we no longer need pharmaceuticals, uh, they were on the hook for paying for it, so they weren't very happy about it. But by the time I got to the point with Dr. Burt where I could be admitted into the study, my health had declined too quickly. And he said, I don't have a year to put you uh, with the chance that you, you know, may be in um, the non-treatment group. Mm -hmm. He said, I... You would get the treatment after a year, but you don't have a year. I'm afraid that you are so close to secondary that that we can't risk it. 
So then we had to go back to the insurance company, which was like, hey, the only reason we're paying for this is because you're on it's trial. It's a FDA study. Yep. And so we had to fight that with appeals. And um, finally, that takes time. Yep. So it took it took a while, but ended up uh, starting in December 2014. And then I came home for the holidays and I went back and finished my treatment in January of 2015. And so, um, yeah, that was that treatment was it's a hard treatment and i've seen people post about how easy the treatment is and i've seen people post about how hard the treatment is and i think it just really depends on how your body's affected by the disease and you know how it reacts to the different drugs that are given during that treatment but absolutely so i came back i it's it's very strange though about four weeks after i returned i woke up one morning and I was like, I felt completely different. I can't even explain it except that I was like, is this what normal people feel like? Is this what healthy people feel like? Mm. And I can honestly say, Jen, that I had never felt that in my life. I do not ever remember feeling that. Same. I had a very similar kind of realization, right? Like, is this normal? I don't even, I realize, like, I don't even know what normal feels like. Right. It's almost like I felt so horrible for so long. Mm -hmm. and, and after a while, I just ended up not talking about it, not sharing. But I was in chronic pain for years. And so I'm sure that, you know, in my uh childhood like one to 15 I probably felt pretty good but I right, wouldn't have remembered right. that same right? same so I was like this is crazy I it's like the I had a lot of mind fog um I I had to drop out of college because one day it's like the professor was completely I, I did not understand one thing he was saying I went from a straight A student to a straight A F student mm. almost overnight it was crazy and so to get my mind that was starting to work again and I was starting to be able to understand that was significant. That was huge. And that's so hard for people who don't have brain fog to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So what else is different post HSCT? Uh, it's, it's crazy because if you were to see me walking down the street or talk to me, like, like I've had people say, well, I thought you had MS. Well, I actually had a friend I hadn't seen probably friends in high school ran into her at the airport where I work and she was catching a flight. And she said, I almost didn't recognize you. I cannot believe how different you're walking. Like I wouldn't mm. even be able to tell that you have ever struggled with uh, your gait or, and she's a physical therapist. So she mm, sure. was in tune with that. And she said, that's, it's super crazy to me how well you're doing. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I do remember when I first came back, I had a lot of survivor's guilt because, you know, you want to share HSCT with everyone. And then you realize at the time it was really only available in Chicago here in the U S and I knew how hard it was to get into that study, but I still wanted to motivate people. I wanted to give people hope because I remember what it was like to be hopeless. 
Um, and then when Dr. Burt shut down his, his study, I kind of went silent. I had done a lot of public mm. speaking. I had really been the loudest cheerleader I could be, <laughs> almost to the point of probably annoying <laughs> annoyance. And I just, I didn't know, you know, unless people had $55,000 cash to go to Mexico, there right. weren't a lot of options. And so that was kind of an interesting turning point. And I'm sure that you felt it as well doing these podcasts as, you know, how do we shift this to try and bring more awareness? So maybe other doctors across the U.S. We're looking at starting this, you know? Right. And I do think there's been more and more clinics. Maybe they just don't advertise yet as often mm -hmm. as much as they should. Like Duke University has been offering this for scleroderma for years now. And I had no idea. Exactly. <laughs> right. Wow. And, and they focus on scleroderma. And then like there's a trial in Denver at the Colorado Blood Cancer Institute that's focused on CIDP, but they'll treat MS patients. Um, oh. It's the myeloablative protocol, as is the BEAT MS trial. Right. But Dr. Burt's protocol is now being offered in La Jolla at Scripps Health. And it's not necessarily, it is a trial, but it's not a trial. Like there's a, an email process and it's just not well promoted or advertised yet. Right. Right. I had hoped with, it's interesting. I just saw an announcement this week that uh, actress Selma Blair is going to be on Dancing with the Stars. Mm -hmm. uh, her journey's been pretty public and I've appreciated what she shared about her journey because I think she gives a voice to HSCT. Mm, yes. Um, and I kind of hope that the MS community can get some momentum, even from greater awareness through Selma and some other people that uh, have received the treatment. So I hope it keeps momentum. You know, I hope it just keeps gaining more and more recognition. Indeed. Well, and I just saw a study today published or maybe they're just researching a way to work with your T cells. There's some in, infusion to help eradicate the negative messaging of autoimmune disease. So it's like, wow, kind of like HSCT, but without all the chemo, maybe I don't, it sounded fascinating and they're focused on lupus patients right now but uh -huh. saying that there's possibilities for other autoimmune diseases, which is hopeful. And so even if it's not HSCT, ultimately just offering people that opportunity to be informed about these choices for treatment that can halt their progression before they get to the point like you and me where you're transitioning and it could be too late if you wait any longer. Correct. And I appreciate your podcast for that very reason, among others, but just people need help. And it's, it's sad because, you know, I've talked to other people with MS that are like, you know, they're just ready to throw in the towel. They're just so tired of being sick and it's, it's so hard to survive every day. And, you know, you try and offer help and they're like, nope, this is how it is. I mean, their mindset is just fixed that, 
their life is going to be horrible till they die. And then you talk to other people who want to have hope, but have never really heard of, you know, miracles happening with other procedures. And you start talking about some of the other things and the research that's going on and they light up and they want to hear more about it. Mm. And I just, I hate to see people without hope. It's, it is really hard. The world's hard enough, right? Exactly. The world's hard enough without without having a chronic illness and feeling awful and not being able to do much. So I think hope is really important and the conversation is really important around the miracles that are happening, whether it's HCT or anything else. For sure. Just illuminating that possibility. Right. You never know who's going to be listening or... Who knows somebody who knows somebody? We participated locally. One of my board members here was the first patient treated at the Cleveland Clinic, and he lives pretty close to me. So we, on Independence Day weekend, went and participated in a few local parades and had big magnets printed for the side of the car. And then we distributed flyers and candy. And I don't know who actually read the flyer. Right. Everybody was there collecting candy. We're out there like, hey, check out this treatment for autoimmune disease. But um, the magnets are still on my car. And I can't even tell you every day driving my kid back and forth to school, running errands, wherever people are looking and they're reading. And even last night I'm at a meeting at the at the school and leaving with another parent And he said, you know, walking in, I noticed your car. What is this about autoimmune disease? My wife has Crohn's. I'm like, you need to know about this. She needs to listen to my podcast episode where I interview Lydia, who was one of the first people treated by Dr. Bird over 20 years ago. Wow. It's like you never know who you're going to run into whose life is affected by autoimmune disease because so many people truly are affected by autoimmune disease these days. Right. Absolutely. It's, I, I believe it's anything from, you know, trauma to environmental, like there's a lot of toxins in there. I actually, uh, I know that there's a link to the Epstein-Barr virus mm-hmm. for MS at least. Exactly. Um, so I've been doing this medical medium protocol, which is, um, it's a cleanse to heal. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, the gentleman's name is Anthony Williams and he kind of gives a protocol on how to get rid of Epstein-Barr virus and how to heal. So I've been trying that out because I've got a daughter who's doing it for a separate issue and she's found a lot of success for it with it. So it really is how we feel our bodies and our minds and how we process through trauma. So, and Epstein-Barr, did you have mono? I absolutely had Epstein-Barr when I was mm-hmm. 13. I went in my first month in junior high. <laughs> I got mono, and my dad was like, well, that was from a drinking fountain with all the kids, you know, but I, I'm assuming maybe that's where it came from. I don't know, but I I had mono. I was home from school, I want to say, for at least two weeks. It was, uh, and then Dr. Burt also um, tested me for it when I went through the process of qualifying mm-hmm. for HSCT. So yeah. yeah Did you I have still... Epstein-Barr? Oh yeah. And I still have the antibodies. Huh. 
interesting. It is. And uh, when I'm on antivirals, I do so much better or an antibiotic. Really? Absolutely. It's, it's, I was on a cyclovir, right? We were supposed to be stay on for at least six months post transplant. And I was like, you know, I feel so much better being on this. Can I just continue through the year? And my doctor was like, sure, I don't see a problem. And I felt amazing. And as soon as I lose that support, if you will, now I also have Lyme disease going on. So <laughs> that's a whole other factor. But if my body has that support of an antibiotic or antiviral, I instantly start walking better. I move better. I think better. Huh. I need some crazy. cleansing too. <laughs> That is super interesting. So, so how do they distinguish between, uh, like, how did you find out you have Lyme disease? Because I understand that the symptoms are so similar. Sometimes it's very hard to figure out if someone has MS or Lyme disease. Right. Yes. So when I started Tecfidera, I, so I was diagnosed the day before I found out I was pregnant and I said no to drugs for at least three years. Because I was feeling fine. I was feeling great. I had like neuropathy in my legs, my calves. It felt weird to shave my legs. Like, like I wasn't touching my own skin. Huh. I had some balance so issues. Kind of yeah, definitely numbness. Okay. I had sho weird shocking pains, but that was about it. And so my, my neurologist kept insisting like, this is an aggressive disease. You need to get on a drug. So I agreed to go on Tecfidera when it came on the market in 2013 and instantly started a rapid decline. Like the next year, within that next year, I was really struggling to walk. And my primary care physician was like, there's something else going on here. Like those drugs should not be making you worse. I think you might have Lyme disease. I'm like, eh, I don't want to pay the $200 for the test. So like, I'm good. I have a diagnosis. The same story that like the excuses we come up with, I'm good. It's fine. This medicine will work someday. Like tomorrow I might feel better. I just kept telling myself that every morning I'd feel lousy and probably worse than the day before. I'm like, but am I really worse? Maybe tomorrow will be better. And I ran out of tomorrow's like at some point, then I coughed up the $200 and sure enough, I had six of the eight antibodies affiliated with Lyme disease. Wow. You only need two to test positive. And so I ran the results to my neurologist's office, immediately went to just see what he had to say. And he's like, oh, well, you need, we need to do the CDC test with our infectious disease specialist, because we don't, we don't trust this IgenX lab in California. We don't, they aren't FDA approved. We don't go by their test. So I wait the weeks, right? And I do the other tests and I was one point away from a positive. I'm like, this wow. is nuts. You're fired. I'm not working with <laughs> you anymore. So I went on the search for another neurologist who had experience working with patients with Lyme disease. And while I waited for that appointment, I found uh, the Center for Lyme disease and tick-borne illnesses or something at Columbia University in New York and went up there saw their neurologist for like over the course of two days and did all the cognitive testing and 
gait testing and met with their head neurologist. And she was basically like, you have both. You have both MS and Lyme disease. And usually MS is caused by some infection. In your case, it could have been Lyme. It could have been the mono that you had in high school. We don't know, but we do know that you have both. And so do like a steroid regimen and try and find a baseline and then start a DMT that won't, that won't suppress your immune system so much. Right. Uh So Tecfidera suppressed my immune system and let that Lyme run rampant. Wow. And then four months after that is when I found HSCT because I like, I had been on Tysabri and when my neurologist didn't believe the Lyme disease, I was like, why am I on this terrible drug that could cause mm-hmm. this brain eating virus? I'm definitely worse having been on Tecfidera and Tysabri. I don't trust these MS drugs. I started on two different antibiotics and was on that for a year, year and a half, and then found like a co-infection. I was seeing an herbalist who would draw my blood every time I saw him just a pinprick and look at it under the microscope. And he could see some invader trying to get into like bust through the cell wall of my white cells, just in the little sample. He's like, this is a co-infection. It was fascinating. He's the only person I've ever seen actually look under a microscope at what's happening at the cellular level. So started on a different antibiotic and felt even better. And so I was on those for a good year plus before I found HSCT and was just convinced, right? As soon as I saw the science, I'm like, well, that makes total sense to just obliterate those cells that carry the bad messaging. Right. And let's create new ones. So do you feel like HSCT helped the Lyme's disease as well? It's interesting because I don't think that the Lyme is is as much of an issue. Uh Knowing that the symptoms are so similar, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of debate out there still on chronic Lyme and how long does it really hang out. And it's a spirochete shape, just like syphilis. And so it can suppress itself and hide out in your tissues and your muscles and your lungs wow. and your heart and all these scary places. So when I was going through all the pre-testing at Northwestern and mentioned my concern and questions about like, will this also eradicate Lyme? They had me talk to one of their infectious disease specialists. And he's like, all those antibiotics you took, like you're good. And I was like, okay, I'll just believe that. <laughs> Who knows, right? I mean, I have right. not I have not done another test just to see if any of my antibodies show up because yeah. they may still show up even right. though I don't have active infection. So I think right. that was their their way to help me feel better, right? Like with a year plus of antibiotics and all this chemo and all the antibiotics yeah that you'll be on even post HSCT and antivirals, like it's, it's probably going to stay quiet. Right. Right. But that big question, right. Even with Epstein-Barr, like if I get super stressed or sick or COVID or whatever, 
those little virus bugs might reawaken. Right. right. And, and that is frightening because I don't think anybody really knows that um, yet anyway, you know. Exactly. I'm not sure how much. I think there's a lot of people that have had the procedure and it'll take years to accumulate all the information and figure Study that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Because right. I feel like this podcast has even amassed so much of that information because everyone's mm -hmm. so different and experiences it so different. Right. And to have I that think you're right. longitudinal look at post the five years that they can publish in JAMA, right? Like, I know Dr. Burt struggles because some people just don't return the information or they don't answer their phone or they don't follow up. Yeah. Yeah. And with me, I wasn't taken on study. And so, you know, right. as much as I'd like to be helpful to that process, I can't be because I wasn't included in that. And so. Right. Me either. I, I didn't know that you were taken off study. I guess I didn't realize that. Well, I was approved to go through transplant by my insurance. And a week later, they changed their mind. Wow. And so then I went through the appeals process. <laughs> yeah, I feel you on the appeals and spent like over six months and got to that point of like, you've exhausted all of your options. Did you write your appeal? Yeah, well, my sister and her husband are attorneys and they helped. Okay. They helped big time. Yeah. Yes. My spouse at the time was an attorney and a medical litigator at that. And so, um, I really believe that that was, um, a gift because I know that that appeal was really, really tough. It kind of outlined the cost analysis and they had to research really where my health was headed, which pretty much looked like a assisted living center, long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. And so to figure out the cost of that um, and the medical care is kind of how they fought that. So it worked, but I think it was kind of a hard appeal to write. Oh, for so. sure. And is good advice for anyone up against insurance, right? Putting, trying Correct. to put together that cost analysis. It's not just about the money you're saving from not being on disease modifying therapies the rest of your life. Yeah. It's also those long-term care facilities. It's hospitalizations from infections. It's further testing. I mean, yeah. all of it is, it is, it is very sick to be, or it is very expensive to be sick in the United States. Yeah. And, uh, the MRIs, the steroids, the antibiotics, all of it. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, tied to my job because of my HSA card, right? So it's like, mm. well, I have really good insurance here. I have HSA card, da-da-da. You know, would I like to go do other things that would fulfill my soul a little bit more? Probably, but <laughs> I've got this little HSA card that I carry around and frequently use. So, Value yeah, it's... Highly. Yeah. People who have not been sick or they do not have someone in their life that's been sick or struggled, I think there's a real disconnect there. For sure. A huge disconnect. For sure. And mm -hmm. I wish that they never 
get sick, to learn the lessons. I just wish that they would learn the lessons. Right. Without having to witness it. Right. Mm. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's, uh, it's been quite a journey and we'll see where it goes. Right. For sure. I'm sure you'll have at least another eight years plus of remission. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, is is there studies out there that, that proves after 16, 20 years that, you know, I mean, I haven't read the studies. I guess I should. I no, guess I've been a I don't think so. hopeful optimist where I'm just like, I'm going to wake up every day and be as positive as I can and do the best I can in the world and help as many people as I can. And, and when the rodeo's up, it's up, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, that's yeah. about all we can do. So good on you right. for, right? for even including other people in that journey? Well, I think my mindset really changed after uh, being diagnosed and then being, I felt like the gift of HSCT. I I really felt like that was a huge gift because I realized so many people that could benefit from it that either didn't qualify or didn't have the means to even have someone fight an appeal on their behalf. And so I've tried to become the eternal optimist, which is hard in the world that we live in today because it seems like people want to take a right or wrong approach to everything, Mm. every opinion, every, you know, political party, no matter what it is, somebody wants to fight about it. (laughs) And there's um, too much gray in the world. It's not black and white. Right. And so I guess I try and be a voice of hope because there's enough hopelessness in other arenas that, you know, that's kind of how I stay sane. Well, and put forth that good energy in the world that, you know, will ultimately be returned. I kind of feel like I owe that to the world. I know that sounds crazy, but it's like, I was given this opportunity that um, I feel like I need to give back because, um, I witnessed something. I've experienced something. Now I am the walking um, acknowledgement that HSCT, you know, has worked. And so I feel like I kind of owe that to anyone who wants to have the conversation. Well, and that hope, I remember in our first conversation, that hope was a big, that was part of your superpower, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Do you think um, you still have that same superpower or is there a new one that's come up for you? Hmm. I think understanding uh, there's a superpower called grit. Mm. And um, it's interesting because I've learned to identify that in other people. And so I believe I have some of that. Uh it's, it's humbling to watch someone else take that on, no matter what they're struggling with in their life, mm-hmm. um, and to take on challenges. Um, and so I think that's maybe something I've either recognized or something that I've uh, developed, especially writing about really hard things, uh, past experiences and such kind of to to clear that um, trauma, you know, in hopes of doing that. So, yeah. Brilliant. 
That's what I would say. Superpowers are fun. They are. And I appreciate that you uh, ask in each one of your interviews uh, what those superpowers are to uh, the folks that you're interviewing, because I think that's fun and fascinating. It's neat to see, right? And and even for people to reflect and, and even find their own power. And I think people identify superpowers differently. So Absolutely. to your audience, to your audience, I think that it helps people relate uh, to other stories. And it also maybe helps them reflect um, to see how, if, how and if that's true for them mm-hmm. or what that brings up for them if it's not true for them. Maybe it's a different superpower that is triggered by that conversation. Yeah, or maybe they can just recognize similar inside themselves that they maybe haven't shared with anyone. And maybe they haven't um, recognized it. I mean, I know I have been my worst critic my whole life. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm the hardest on myself, right? And so um, to hear other people's perspectives and journeys um, and experiences, I learn and grow a lot. Hearing those and just self-inquiry, you know, on my own path. So, Mm. For sure. This whole, this entire podcast experience has been super helpful along my healing journey and just finding that commonality with other people, but also recognizing the struggle is real in so many different ways for so many people. So I don't know if this is true for you and I don't want to certainly put words in your mouth, but I will tell you that I believe that the world, that we are each so connected there is no doubt in my mind that I was meant to cross your path, um, to cross so many other people's paths that I've had the opportunity to in my life. As I look back, my life is kind of lined up like a dot to dot mm. um, picture, you know, uh, things have happened and I haven't always known why, but it seems down the road, it starts connecting. So there's, there's no doubt that this podcast that you've brought to so many, I mean, we're all connected, Jen. I really believe that. Agreed. And people will listen to it and be like, oh, I was meant to listen to it this day. Or, oh, the person that they interviewed that day um, made me think about this, that made me think of this person that could help this. You know, it's just our journeys are all so connected. And I think if more people acknowledge that in the world, we'd be as a culture community, um, so much less hard on everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about, or is there anything you're grateful for about your experience with HSCT that has gone unspoken? Mm -hmm. I believe that my journey with HSCT from years of being sick. I mean, I did so much damage to my body, not even realizing it from fixed right. beliefs to, to, uh, toxic patterns. And I'm not sure that I, I mean, I know I couldn't have been, I could, I would not have the health I have today without HSCT. Mm-hmm. So even though I woke up and thought, okay, I'm slowly destroying my body and I need to figure out why, 
I know that without HSCT, I, you know, most likely, Jen, I'd be in an assisted living center today. I mean, they gave me five years here. We're at nine since diagnosis. Mm. So I feel like HSCT has given me uh, a second chance at life to heal generational trauma for generations to come and to really learn and grow and evolve um, spirituality. My spirituality has increased. Um, my gratitude has increased at just everything. Your connection with others and your family. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And my, my community, I mean, I just, I see how everything is so connected and it's kind of fun to figure out what the next venture is going to be, you know, how I can hopefully impact someone else's journey for the good whether it be my kids, which, you know, at one point I didn't think I'd be able to even see my granddaughter be born. I've got a granddaughter that's two. So Mm. I've I've got a lot of gratitude that I'm here. I'm healthy. I'm able to uh, participate in my kids' lives, be more active. So I, it's amazing. I have a a really full heart and Mm. it's hard to put it into words. I think maybe they don't belong in words. Uh, Yeah. I, I can feel Probably it. Probably not. It's yeah. It sounds abundant, <laughs> and that's beautiful. So I wish I had this really eloquent answer, but it's all really heartfelt. It's all it's very moving and deep, and just love and gratitude. I guess is the closest I can come to it. Beautiful. We all deserve that. Absolutely. And it's amazing that you've found it along your journey. I, I am very grateful for the HSCT tribe that I've connected with through um, this journey. I mean, so, so many people I, I met at Northwestern when I'd go back for checkups with Dr. Burt and mm. then I'd go visit the floor where other people are getting HSCT and and I gained friendships that way and connections that way. And um, I have to say, I've never met someone that had the gift of HSCT that has not wanted to help heal the world. And that's, that's a true statement. It really changes one's perspective and, um, feels like people that have had HSCT are deeply aligned with, you know, healing the world. Mm. It's definitely a transformational experience. Mm-hmm. It is. I really appreciate you connecting with us again for this update to share how you're doing now that you're, well, will be eight years in just a few short months. Absolutely. I will take every opportunity I can, Jen, to uh, be able to connect with you and um, catch up. So I appreciate the invitation. And uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing with your podcast and your foundation. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, good to be in, in the space with those others who are so committed, right, to helping just promote awareness of HSCT. And that's true for the people willing to share their stories on the podcast, but also people who are signed up as volunteers. 
to talk to a warrior, right? So that people with questions can call and just get to know, like, find the personal experiences with HSCT that doctors don't have. Right. Doctors, even Dr. Burt doesn't know all of the stuff we know now because we've been through it, right? Like from the patient perspective, which is so valuable for any of these clinics who will be starting to offer HSCT someday. I keep saying like, we should be walking alongside of those clinics to help inform how they can be more effective at providing an awesome patient experience. Not that Northwestern wasn't amazing. Right. But not everywhere is Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I would be happy to, I, I would love to be involved with your talk with a, yes. Talk to a warrior. Yeah. I would love to be involved in that. Yes. I, I knew that you were going to launch it. I did not know it had been launched, but if you need more volunteers, I, I would love to do that. Surely. My biggest fear is that we aren't going to have enough volunteers. <laughs> And hearing well, you're volunteering, I, <laughs> that's amazing. Like literally, I just spoke those words just a couple hours ago. And then here we are. And you're in my universe again. Well, I'll tell you what, I I have um, quite a few contacts and friends that have had HSCT. And I'm quite certain each one of them would jump on board with that. So let me know how I can assist you with that. You're amazing. Thanks, Jen. It's been great talking to you. It's always great connecting with you, Allison. I really appreciate you taking the time to update us today. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So take good care of yourself and keep up the good work of finding space within to grow, right? Both physically and spiritually. I love that. Thank you for that. Mm. You're welcome. Thank you for spending time with us today. Take good care. You as well. Thanks. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.